0: over the years i've spoken with people about key moments and decisions that made and changed them a key decision we make as people is choosing who to spend the most intimate parts of our lives with from acquaintances to friends to lovers our journeys are highly influenced and affected by those around us Today's story revolves around one of those decisions, marriage. My name is Wale Emmanuel and you're welcome to a new episode of In These Moments. I came across Vera's story some months back after she made a post on a blog detailing some of her experiences in an unhealthy marriage. I made a note to reach out to her at a later date, and she was graceful and open to sharing the story on the show. She speaks on her marriage, adjusting to change, and a lot more. This is a very important discussion, and I hope it serves as a sort of reference for someone that may be going through something similar. This episode now stands as the longest of this show, so I'm once again coming through for those who love longer episodes. If you want more of this story, head out to patreon.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, com slash worthy for the exclusive parts of a story that aren't on the public feed and a lot more. With that being said, I leave you in the hands of Vera Izimara.
1: My name is Vera Ezimora, and I am a writer and a podcaster. I am a mom. I have a four-year-old who's almost five. I live in Baltimore, Maryland. I was born in a strange land. Every time I tell people, I have to explain it wasn't a mistake. I was born in Russia, Leningrad, Russia, and it was not a mistake because people have asked me why. Who gets born in Russia? I did. My parents were both in med school. And that's where they had me. And we relocated back to Nigeria when I was four. I could not speak a lick of English when I returned to Nigeria. I could only speak Russian. Obviously, that's no longer the case. (laughs) I am my parents' only child. My parents did have a son before me, but he passed away when he was about six months. So I never got to meet him. So yeah, it's just me. Growing up in Nigeria... It was nice. I learned English. I made friends with neighbors, people in school. I was and have always been really friendly and social. So making friends and keeping friendships have not been hard. I still communicate with people I've known since I was a child. I enjoyed my time in Nigeria. Even though I've spent most of my life out of Nigeria, I'm still Nigerian at the core. There's still some values that were instilled in me because I was in Nigeria or a Nigerian. I grew up during a time that I could walk down the street to somebody's house. If I were to go to Nigeria now, I would not let my kid do that. I wouldn't even let her do that here, really. Things are different, right? You could just walk on over, take a 15-minute walk to your friend's house just to hang out. I wouldn't do that now. I didn't grow up on devices. (laughs) I had no iPad No cell phones, which my four year old does not comprehend. She asked me if I had an iPad when I was a kid, and I said no. And she's like, What? Was your mommy mean to you? I'm like, No, there were no iPads, and she can't comprehend it. Roadside food in Nigeria. I grew up in the north. I'm Igbo. I grew up in. Just Plateau State. Although most of my friends were still Ibo and from other tribes, but it was nice. We ate roadside food. Like I loved kunu. I loved fura de nono. I loved masa. I loved all these things that sometimes I had to hide to eat. I was not allowed to eat. When I came to the US, I was 15 years old. There was a lot of culture shock. Like, example, was in high school, seeing kids my age even younger smoking. I was like, what? Where I was coming from was like, I'd never seen that before. I mean, in Nigeria, I smoked a cigarette once, my cousin and I, and I was obviously younger than 15, but it was, it was done so secretly. And the brand of cigarette we smoked was St. Moritz. I think that's what it was called. But here's the humor in that. So the reason why we picked St. Moritz and not like Benson and Hedges or whatever else was, we were like, well, if it's called Saint Morris, this must be like a good cigarette, you know, like it's a saint. It must be Christian. It must be holy. It must be good. So we we, we bought one and, you know, we took a few puffs and coughed and that was the end of it. I never went back to it. Uh, but seeing it in high school here where kids are somewhere smoking, I was like, wow. And after classes, when you're going between maybe the homeroom and your classroom and you see couples or the students who are kissing in the hallway, like adults can see them. I had never experienced that. Never, ever, ever. Like seeing it in high school here was so shocking. Also, I wasn't prepared for the tension between Africans and African-Americans. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand slavery. I didn't understand so much. I just didn't have that black perspective for music like, why are black people complain okay yeah there was slavery but that was like so long ago <laughs> everything is okay we can sing kumbaya but now i'm older and i'm like yeah okay i understand now that that was me coming from my african privilege i was born catholic and i went to catholic church all my life in Nigeria. I went to Catholic school. When we came here, we continued the Catholic church, but I started finding myself disconnected from the Catholic church. I felt like I could sit down in this church. My mind could be anywhere and I would still be able to know when to sit, when to stand, when to kneel, what to say. I was, you know, I was an autopilot in church. So I wanted something different. And that's how I ended up in a redeemed church because Two of my friends, Fumi and were attending this redeemed church here in Baltimore. So I like, hey, you should come to this church. And I'd never gone to one. And I went and I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think what I liked most about it was the people, that there were Nigerian people here. The songs were so familiar to me. The drums, you know, everything was, you know, the accents, everything was, was home. And so that's where I started going. I became active in the church. And that's where I met the person I ended up marrying. We both were in the same church. Um, Ibo, he was Yoruba. But yeah, that's how it started. We started dating in church, I would say about a, maybe a year and a few months. And we never had a wedding. We had we went to court. So the plan was always to do everything else later. We'll, you know, we'll catch up, we'll do everything. Um, so we that's how we ended up married. I felt like I had married the person for me. We came from different backgrounds. I was very well aware of that, but I didn't think that it made any difference. I just thought, this is your background. This is my background. What matters the most is I love you. You love me. So everything's going to be perfect. We didn't have communication problems. I felt I could expressly communicate how I felt. And I thought that he was communicating too. We had conversations. I've been around couples who don't talk and it it sounds crazy, but their conversations might be like maybe about the kids, about everyday life, but rarely ever best friend moments type thing. But I felt like we had that, like we had a good connection on that front. He was ambitious and I was ambitious too. And I thought our ambitions matched each other. Like he was driven. He had big dreams and I really liked them. I had big dreams too. So I felt that we're going to be able to push each other to achieve these big things that we we, we had. On my end, my big dreams were I wanted to publish a book. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be very financially well off. On his end, he wanted to eventually become the president of Nigeria, which I thought was okay. I had no interest in politics whatsoever, but I didn't mind that he did. And I knew it was something he was going to pursue down the line, like in his 50s, 60s type thing. At least that's what he told me. For me, it was like, okay, well, when I get to that bridge, I'll cross it. You know, I knew it entailed us having to eventually move back to Nigeria. And I was okay with that. He was somebody I could sit with and talk with and would we'll laugh. It wasn't under the pressure of a romantic relationship. It was just that there, there was just a friendship at, you know, at the court. There was just a friendship. So I liked that. I felt like he, he was an independent thinker. Like he wasn't one who was swayed by the crowd. It's like, he's like, this is what I want. And that's what I want. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. So I counted all these things as strengths. About... A year after we got married, he quit his job. He had a state job and he went to Nigeria for three months. Then he came back for about two weeks or so. And then he went back again for another three months. This for me was the beginning of change because the reason why he went home was because he was going to run for office. I don't remember what office it was. It was something in Ogun State where he's from. I was not in support of this at all. We were in our 20s. We were still in our struggle career. We're still trying to put our feet on the ground, figure ourselves out. I did not think that this was a time for anybody to quit his job and move back home to run for office. And... Nigerian politics is not American politics. American politics, you could be a nobody, maybe, and come out and maybe you win the support of the people because they're like, oh, look at him. He's so authentic and I don't know. In Nigeria, however, I'm like, you don't have any connection. You don't know anybody. You don't have the money. You don't have the influence. You don't have anything. And to quit and go back, to run for office where you're running against people who have been there who have the financial backing who have the backing also of political godfathers and things like that you don't have anything that was a big rift in our marriage he said that i wasn't being supportive that's how he interpreted it i wasn't being supportive of his career and he was supportive of mine and i'm like this first of all is not what we talked about you never told me that you were going to go to nigeria this early you're quitting your job now i have to stay behind and run everything by myself this is not what i signed up for but okay His mother lived in Nigeria then. And he always used to say, well, his mother knows people. He would say his mother is a politician. And I was like, that's not a politician. You know, when the politicians, I know every time I say this, people laugh and they think I'm trying to be shady, but I'm not. The thing is when a politician comes to the village where his mother lived and they share rice or oil or tomato, whatever they share, his mom is one of the people that gets something. I'm like, but that's not a politician. She can't introduce you to the top dogs. Tinubu or whoever is at the top. I don't know. She can't introduce you to those people. She doesn't have those connections. In fact, she depends on you. You sent her money for feeding. Is how she eats. So you can't go and think that she can do so. If she could, she would have done for herself, I think. What had happened was his mother, who attended a white garment church, said she saw a vision. I didn't think it made any sense, but Soikbe, you should come home right now. This position is yours. Everything is worked out. They saw it in the vision, yada, yada, yada. So off he went and nothing happened. I never received an explanation for why God did not keep the word that God said. He was running for office in Ogun State. Uh, it was a local, office, a local position, I don't remember. And it was costing a lot of money. I was discovering more things about him that I didn't know before. What I judged initially as confidence, I realized now was really cockiness and arrogance. He told me, Yeah, people know my name. Everybody's celebrating. We did whatever event they did, and all these people wore the ashra'bi to come. But they wore the Ashwabi because you gave it to them. You know, they didn't spend their money. So who says no to free stuff? Yeah, they'll come. You're here to be sharing money up and down. So, yeah, why not? I didn't see that as progress, but it's a difficult position as a wife. It's like anything you say can and will be used against you, no matter how you try to be diplomatic about it, to say, this is not a great idea. Sometimes, unfortunately, the average man, they have a certain ego. They can't take certain things. So it's hard to tell your husband that this thing you're doing makes no sense. Maybe it interprets as a wife saying that I have no confidence in you. I don't think that any man wants to hear that from his wife. That's not what I was trying to say, but I did think that moving to Nigeria for politics at this time was a complete waste of time and money and resources and everything in between. But that was seen as me being unsupportive. So he went and I was here. I was paying all the bills by myself. It was an incredibly stressful time for me. He came back eventually not achieving the thing he went for. What he did achieve was debt. We got into debt because part of the money he took home was cash advances from credit cards. Those even come with a higher interest rate. It was wiping off whatever money we had saved. So it was a moment where I wanted so badly to just say, I told you so. You know, I said, this was a terrible idea. It caused a rift because now he's back home he's looking for a job and looking for a job. He was home for almost a year with no job. So all that time, everything was on me. My job at the time, I didn't take any benefits. Obamacare hadn't happened yet. So I could take the job with no health insurance. I just hoped that I wouldn't fall sick. And that was what happened. I didn't do a 401k. I didn't do health insurance because I needed all the cash. I was angry now that there's all this Debt. Like, we didn't have to accrue this debt, but here we go. Try to massage his ego. Hey, you know, you tried. You gave it your best. At least you tried. You know, at least now you know you did what you had to do. You don't have to wonder, what if I had done it? You've given it a try. And sincerely, I believe that part. Like, okay, whatever. You tried it. Even though I thought it was very ill calculated, but okay, you gave it a try. Here we are. We have this debt. Eventually, after almost a year, he got a job and he got a good job. So now I was not paying the rent anymore. I was instead paying his debt off. And while husband and wife, you know, you cover each other, you work with each other, for each other. There was still a part of me that was resentful, you know, because I'm like, this is money we could have saved for something. But instead, I'm putting it toward debt that I didn't even spend a penny out of this debt. Like, this is all you. But okay, that's where
0: we are. While being pregnant with their daughter... Vera's body went through changes that affected the level of intimacy in the marriage. Other factors would only go on to make things worse.
1: Having the baby for me did change me in terms of sex. It changed my libido a lot. During the middle to end of the pregnancy, I just did not feel like having sex. There was no desire whatsoever. And after the baby came, it continued for a while where I didn't feel like it. And I did talk to the doctor and she's like, okay, you know, it's normal. Your body has gone through some changes and it affects women differently. In my case, yeah, my libido was gone. Uh, my vision changed. I started needing to wear glasses. We had started a business together as a healthcare business. I had no interest in this business, but he wanted this business because it brings money or whatever. So I was like, fine, we'll do it. So I used the money I made from monetizing my blog. I used that to uh, fund the business. Everything we needed to pay to the state and all that kind of stuff, I used that money to do that. And when the baby came, I left my job. I went on maternity first and then I never returned. But that was the plan. We knew we were going to do that. And... I was now a stay-at-home mom, but I was still making money from the blog. It just wasn't consistent income, like the way I'd get from a nine-to-five job. So I was still doing that, and the business was struggling. And We didn't have any clients yet, and so he suggested that he quit his job to look for clients, which I thought was ridiculous. I said, your income is the only stable income in this household. We have a new baby. All three of us are on that insurance, and you want to quit your job to work on a business that has not brought in any income and he's like I know myself I know myself once I talk to people yada 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 I wasn't allowing that and that was another bone of contention because yet again I was not being supportive of his dreams but I thought this is not a plan that makes any sense who quits their job to pursue a business that hasn't even made a penny?" I suppose you can do that if you're in a certain situation, if you were maybe living in your parents' basement where you don't have any bills, you know, you don't have anyone depending on you, you can afford to take that risk. When you have a new baby and a wife who's not working, no, you cannot afford to take that risk. I think that for me, the reason why I remember that moment is because I think that there was yet another shift for me in my mind, looking at him differently, like... How could you even come up with that idea? I I just couldn't believe it. Like I didn't understand it. It was unfathomable to me that he thought that was a good idea. Someone who had people dependent on him, me, the baby, his mother, his mother's other children, his mother's rel- like all these people are dependent on you and you're going to quit your job. I lost some respect right there. And I was looking at him really differently. I definitely did not feel confident in him. I didn't feel that this is someone who can, I can't go and sleep with both my eyes closed saying that, oh, he got this. He would, you take care of it. I can't. I felt like I needed to be on top of things. I needed to be like, okay, what's going on? Because if I look away, you're going to have us all outside homeless with the kind of plans you're coming up with. I need to look out for myself. He used to know exactly how much I had in my account. I felt that when you're married, these things are not, you know, you, you know each other. See, why should it be a secret how much I'm making you know, or how much I have? Like, I don't care. You can have access to it. You can know how much. It's not a secret. The problem was, as I noticed, he always found something to spend the money on. He always found one project or the other that never panned out to be anything. And I literally asked him, like, do you get restless when you have money in the account? Does it bother you when there's money? And you're like, we need to spend this down. Like you seem to always be on the spend down. You say, no, we're good. We have money. And I'm like, that's not money. You know, a couple thousand dollars to me wasn't money. Okay. You know, so we have $10,000. That's not money. And the reason I'm saying that is because, I mean, if you don't have an income and you have to pay all your bills for like two months you're fresh out of money is a nice amount but that's not the i have arrived amount basically every time the joint savings went up it was guaranteed that it was going to come right back down because he's going to find something i will be completely honest i never came out right and said i'm losing my confidence in you type thing i never outright said that and i didn't even know how to say it in addition to that our sex problem was still a problem we had sex every now and then But it was always me just fulfilling my wifely duties. (laughs) That's how I, like, I I would do it and inside of me, it's like, I can't wait for this to be over it wasn't pleasurable i didn't want it i wasn't turned on it didn't matter what he was doing i was not turned on and there are different kinds of women there are women who can still have a sexual relationship with their partner even if they are mad at them or whatever for me it starts with my mind once i'm not feeling connected mentally intellectually with someone the rest of me just follows through It wasn't a lack of love. I still loved him. So it wasn't that. It's just that while my heart and my body are trying to do one thing, my mind is there whispering like, girl, (laughs) you've married this one. What did you get yourself into? And that was always a problem. Like we couldn't have sex without a lubricant. That's how dry I was. It just wasn't happening. And Even then, it was still difficult. He was disappointed. I mean, our sexual life was like in the tank and I felt horrible. But I didn't know how to open up my mouth and say, I just don't respect you. I didn't know how to say those words. Even when he kept asking, what's the problem? I couldn't say it. In the past, if I said something that was not supportive of his business, that's a bone of contention. That's something he's mad at me for, you know, that he constantly brings up. So I'm like, how am I supposed to tell him, I just don't see you the same way? How do I open my mouth and tell the person I'm married to, like, I, I love you, but... You know, I'm kind of irritated. So I just kept saying, you know, it's because of the baby. I knew it wasn't the baby anymore, but I couldn't say what the real issue was.
0: More from Vera after this short break. For parts of Vera's story that didn't make this episode, head out to patreon.com slash welly that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash welly where you get extra stories from all the episodes this season along with other benefits. Also, don't forget to give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. This helps more people come across the show. Now, back to the story.
1: A year before my baby turned one, I went to Nigeria. Then his mom joined us. Those things are not really connected. I was going to go to Nigeria either way. My baby turned one in October. She joined us about two weeks before she turned one. He filed for her, so she came in with a green card. I knew he filed for her. I knew she was going to be staying with us for a perpetually long time. I was okay with it. It wasn't an idea that I brought up. I've never met... A daughter-in-law who says hey you know what would be fun is <laughs> if my mother-in-law moves in with us yeah that would be nice so it wasn't an idea that I brought up he thought it was a great idea at least he said to me oh you know she could help out with the baby yada 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 I was like all right cool I wasn't too excited but eventually I came around you know I prayed about it I prepared myself like and I told him I said okay She can live with us, cool, but I didn't have a lot of expectations or demands. My thing was just let me be. Don't expect me to live my life differently now because she's here. You know, just don't be in my way. I gave her free range in the kitchen. I'm like, you know, if I cook something and you're like, "Eh, I don't feel like eating that, you're welcome to cook something else. I know some women are particular about who goes in their kitchen or who cooks or who does. That wasn't an issue to me. I was like, I don't care. Two weeks after she came in, he lost his job. I don't know till today the real cause of the job loss. He said... Nothing happened. They just called him in the office and fired him. And I believed him because I had no reason to doubt my husband. I was like, you know, he, he's not lying. You know, the devil is a liar. The mom is with us now. She didn't give me problems. As far as I knew, we were good. As far as I knew, we were on the same page. As far as I knew, I liked her. She liked me. Both of them now clashed all the time. In fact, he was going to send her back to Nigeria. And the thing is, she did not raise him. She had him as a teenager. And then she and his dad, they never got together or got married or whatever. So she left him, abandoned him for his grandpa, his dad's dad. So it was only as an adult that he started knowing his mom. So when she came to live with us, they were always clashing and arguing and I'd be in the middle telling him, don't talk to your mother in that way and blah, blah, blah. And she would cry and I'd console her. And I'm going back and forth, being the mediator between the two. So as far as I knew, she and I liked each other. Or so I thought. Like I said, he lost his job. I wasn't working at the time. Cause remember I quit my job. I was just working on the blog. So now there's no official income coming into the home. I didn't tell anybody that he lost his job. Like my friends and family, nobody knew. We're running out of cash. I had savings. I've always been good at savings. So now we're borrowing through my savings. Every month I would transfer some money to him for the bills that he usually paid from his account. I would transfer money to him for him to take care of those. This went on for six months. Six months of no income, except, ch- um, what's that thing called? Unemployment. Yes. So he went on unemployment, which was like 300 and something a week. I don't remember the exact amount. It was something like that. It helped a little bit, but obviously it didn't cover all the bills. His mother still had two other children in Nigeria from two different fathers and the fathers are not in the kids' lives. So these are her responsibilities and now our responsibility, because we are the ones who had been providing money for them. So we're blowing through my savings. A lot of things were getting weird. She was always seeing vision, for example. Every time, you know, week, when she comes again. God has said this. He was playing the lottery every day, trying to win. And she said, yes, week, you should go and play the lottery. And he played the lottery. and He won't win. She Ah, why didn't you tell me? If he had told me, would have given you the numbers to play. This was ongoing over and over. She was always seeing visions. God said, I should not tie red scarves. I had one red scarf that I tied all the time. Well, I don't know why God picked that one scarf and said I shouldn't tie. She said, God said I shouldn't tie red scarves. I was still tying my red scarf because, well, that's the only one I have. And she told me, you know, I wasn't taking her seriously because I was familiar with her. And I didn't understand the kind of power God put in her and blah, blah, blah. She always had visions for me. I don't remember what they were. I never did any of them. That was a problem because uh, he said I wasn't listening to his mom. And I'm like... I don't do this vision thing, you know? You're talking to a girl who was Catholic all her life. You can't just come and tell me you're seeing a vision. I did not connect spiritually. I am a person of faith. And when I pray, this is irrespective of his mother now, I always prayed and still pray for God to speak to me in a language that I understand. I don't believe that God would bring me a message in the way he knows that I would be completely doubtful of. That's just me. I would think that if God wanted to communicate with me, that he would speak to me in a way that, oh, I understand it. She told me things that, like, oh, God said, anything your husband says, you should do it. I'm like, yeah no <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I didn't say no I thought it in my head because I'm like that's too much of a blanket statement you can't tell me anything my husband says I should do it like before we got married I knew his mom was in a white garment church but he wasn't you know we talked about what happen when we had kids and all that kind of stuff and he's like oh he's never going to a white garment church his children are never going to a white garment church, blah 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 okay well that's fine but then when his mother came in eventually one day he told me oh He said it so casually that, oh yeah, we have to go and sew a sutana for the baby. I was like, we have to do what now? Uh, We have to sew a a sutana, which is the white gown that they wear in the white garment. So I was like, "Mm, what are we sewing a sutana for? Oh, when we go to Nigeria, won't the baby go to his mother's church? I was like, no, she won't. We talked about this. Well, he changed his mind and he's the man of the house. And I would do as I say. And I was like, yeah, that's not how this works. He's told me multiple times that I'm stubborn. Maybe I am. I don't know. But... I told him, I was like, I'm not a child. I'm not a doll. You can't just bark orders at me and I do what you said I should do. That's not how this works. This is a partnership. We discuss the issues and we agree on what works for both of us. You don't just tell me that you are the man of the house and then I do anything and everything that you say. Also keep in mind at this point for me, I'm already looking at him like someone I can't even trust to lead me. So you're now telling me that I have to do anything you say. I'm like, no, if anything, I'm inclined to do the opposite of what you're saying. The quality of the marriage was getting worse and worse. Our communication, we used to communicate well. That was out the window. His mom was his new best friend. She was like his wife. And I was a guest in the house who had a child. That's what it seemed like, the new dynamics. He would go to work. He would come back. He would go to his mother's room. He would stay there till it's time for him to go to bed. Okay, good night. And he's off to bed. That was every day. He started a business This one was about Nigerian movies, creating an app for Nigerian movies, blah, blah, blah. He said he was going to Nigeria. This was in 2017. The reason he wanted to go to Nigeria was he wanted to talk to Mo Abudu about that movie, The Wedding Party. They had released the first one. So now the second one was coming out and he was going to go to Mo Abudu to tell her to put the movie on his app. So I said the first part of that movie was on Netflix. I'm sure the second one will be on Netflix too. A friend's husband actually gave him money to pay for his ticket to go to Nigeria, free of charge. It wasn't borrowing him the money. My job was a contract job, the job was over, so now I was looking for another job. Still I gave him some money, I gave him a thousand, even though I thought this trip was a waste of money. But I still gave it to him, I said alright, to support the dream, you know, lest I be accused of not supporting the dream. And he flew to Nigeria, I didn't even get to meet Mo, he emailed her. And Mo was like, yeah, first of all, the movie doesn't belong only to me, so I can't make that decision. Second of all, it's still a no, because, you know, we're not interested. We've already contracted to other, you know, like all that kind of stuff. They're not interested. So the whole trip was basically useless. I mean, you don't get on a plane and fly to Nigeria to send an email. You could have done that from here. He spent about a month, three weeks in Nigeria. I asked him when he came back, how do you think it went? He said, yes, it went very good. Hollywood knows my name. Now this one, that one, he didn't come back with one single movie. Well, I take that bad. He did come back with one, a Yoruba movie, which we explicitly talked about this. And we're like, we weren't going to do any Yoruba movies or Igbo movie. You wanted English movies so that you can appeal to more people. He came back and that's all he accomplished, but all the money spent. Even the person who gave him money for the ticket to buy his plane ticket, he didn't use that money for a plane ticket. He put the plane ticket on his credit card and he took the cash home to go and do big boy in Nigeria. Stayed in expensive hotels, ate at expensive restaurants. Meanwhile, over here, bills are going unpaid. I didn't know until he returned that he didn't even have enough vacation hours to travel. He's now complaining that he's salary was short and i'm like why would your salary be short because he's not on he's not don't pay him on an hourly rate but apparently he didn't even have the vacation days and he went anyway i thought extremely irresponsible why would you do that this was not even a necessary trip when he went, the app was not ready. The app he was going to present, which was another reason why I thought this made no sense. I said, you're going to sell to people that, hey, I have this app, but the app isn't even ready. And you're going to get on a plane and travel thousands of miles to tell them, guess what? I have something you love, but I can't show you because it's not ready. But trust me, it's great. I was like, you nobody but who does that? It's impossible to mention everything that happened. The day he came back, we started arguing. He was mad at me. And I was like, what is the problem? And he finally told me what the problem was. It was that when I picked him up from the airport, it was me, my daughter, and his mother. You know the cart where you put your luggage? I let his mother push the cart. Why didn't I take it from her? I said, well, the cart was yours. The mom was also yours. So if you didn't want your mom pushing your cart, why didn't you take it from her? At this point... I'm feeling even more frustrated because what was happening was every time he did something that I should have said something about, I would just bottle it up inside. For the sake of peace, right? I'll tell myself, for the sake of peace, I'm going to let this go. I'm not even going to mention it because it's just going to be a whole new fight. I don't need the drama. That's fine. You know, in marriage, you have to pick your battles. And I convinced myself of all these things. And so when he would do things, I would just swallow it and take it and not complain. So I said to him, I'm not here to serve you or your mother. Like, that's really not what I'm in this house for. If you don't want your mother pushing your cart, you take it from her. That's what makes sense. He said he was only trying to protect me because you know how these people are, these older people. She's going to go tell people in Nigeria. I said, I don't care what she's telling people in Nigeria. This is my house. You can't tell me to do what I don't want to do. What you should do actually, and put it on me and tell me you're protecting. I said, I don't need that kind of protection. So the fight went on. When he came back, we were barely talking. Three days into it, maybe, we had a big blowout. And I was like, Do you even want this marriage? Like, are you tired? Are you wanting out? He's like, You know what? I don't want the marriage. But this is not the first time he said that. It's just that other times I tell myself, You know, he's a careless talker. He talks carelessly. He gets mad. He gets angry. He says things without thinking. Then you come back and say sorry. But this time, this was a day before Thanksgiving in 2017. This time, I was done, done. I knew that I was done. I just couldn't. I felt like I didn't even know what it was I was actually fighting to hold on to. Because I looked at the marriage and I thought to myself, so I'm fighting to be in a marriage that I don't want to actually be in anymore. His mother gave him visions that he was going to be a king. I don't know king of where because they don't come from a royal family. His father was asking me, king of where? And I said, I don't know, sir. He's, he's your son. <laughs> so you tell me <laughs> where he's going to be a king of. They would watch YouTube videos all day. And that guy, Diony of Ife, right? They would watch his videos and he would tell his mother, oh, this is the outfit I want when I, at my coronation. This is what I want my jewelry to look like. This is the color. You know, it reminded me of that time I did a semester in psychiatric nursing. They're having conversations there that sound crazy, but I know it's because they have some mental disorders. Now it's happening in my home where I'm listening to this boy and his mom talk about coronations. When he was going to Nigeria to meet Mo, this was in November. So he said, when he comes back, All four of us, me, him, his mother, and our child, we're going to travel to Nigeria in December. One month later, we're going to travel first class or business class. And this would be from the money he made from this app that was not even ready as of when he was saying it. And his mother would praise him tell him he was so good he was so she used to call him kabeesi when he comes home she would say kabeesi meet him at the door she would take his backpack she would ask him what he wants to eat and all she cooked really was fried egg because she couldn't cook and that's another thing he said himself that she didn't know how to cook i did not eat her food she once cooked a goosey soup with my meatballs the meatballs for spaghetti sauce she acted like we were in the competition now i'm seeing all these things you know like she'd ask me where did you buy this top from and i would say i don't remember she'd say ah okay well when i'm going to nigeria you people have to buy my own because when i enter nigeria people will know that suzanne that was her name suzanne has entered ugeri ugeri is their town i would wear clothes and she would ask me if i had tights on like leggings on pantyhose and i would say no she'd say ah now wow, oh gow. <laughs> so it's just your skin that is fresh like this. Mm. Okay, like she would make the statements, and I didn't even think much of them. I just, I just thought she's an older woman that is being overly dramatic. One time, I was washing dry fish, and a little bone pricked me, and I was bleeding. And she said that my blood was smooth. I thought that was an odd compliment. My blood was smooth. And I just thought, okay, this is weird, but whatever. But in August, we had gone for a traditional wedding. We came back from the wedding. Everything was fine. We're talking and laughing. I don't even recall how it became an argument. But I wanted us to talk about it. Yes, I was insisting we needed to talk. I was like, I don't know what the problem is. So tell me what it is because I I don't understand why. And this escalated until he hit me. He punched me once. It was in the back of my head. And I was so shocked. I never thought that I would experience this ever. I never thought that I would experience this from him. He never apologized for that. When we eventually talked about it, he told me he hoped I wouldn't make him do that again. And I told him that day that, you know, when you did this thing, I didn't do anything. I was too shocked. I I, I just didn't expect it. If you try it again, if you put your hands on me another time, my reaction will be different. So back to him coming back from Nigeria, when he said he didn't want the marriage, I went and I told my aunt, I said, this is over. And this was the first time anybody knew anything was going on. When I got off the phone with my aunt, I opened up the thing where we keep our important documents and I took out everything that belonged to me and my child. Birth certificates, passports, all those kinds of stuff. I took everything out. I went to the living room, I took my degree, I took I took everything that was of importance to me. The very next day, took them to my aunt's house. I didn't tell him that I took all those things out. He noticed it one day, and I'm assuming that he went looking for them himself. And he asked me about them. And I said, yeah, I took them. And he says, so are we supposed to live in the same house like this, with you taking stuff? I said, I didn't take anything that belongs to you. I took what was mine and my child's. And I told him that day, his mother could hear. I told him that day that I was done trying. I was like, I've given you everything that I have to give you. I have nothing more to give you. There will be no more efforts on my side to make this work. It was because of love that he and I were in the same house and his mother was living with me. I said, if it weren't for love, the most relationship I would have with your mother would be that she would be my mom's errand girl, maybe. And he was very mad about that. But I didn't care. Because at this point, I felt like all those things I'd been keeping inside of me. I was now free to let them out because I just felt like I was protecting your feelings and your ego. And I thought I was doing this for the sake of peace, but I'm not getting anything from this. You know, there is no benefit to me of keeping things inside of me because you don't even look at me and appreciate the fact that I'm here or I'm trying or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I'm like, you think it's easy for me to say somebody else should come live in my house? Do you think this is fun? Like, it's not fun for me. But I accept it because she's your mother. And then this is the treatment I'm getting in response. And before this also, I was suspecting they were talking about me. I don't speak Yoruba. So I started recording their conversation and I would send it off to my Yoruba friends and they would tell me what they were saying. In one recording, he and his mom are talking. They said I'd gotten too big for them. They needed to clip my wings. In another conversation... He's telling her if I did not move out, he was going to throw my things out and I needed to leave and da, da da. And this whole time, the mom is still laughing with me, smiling at me, but she didn't know that I knew. They didn't know I knew what they were talking about. And I went along with it. I said, fine, you know, as they say, to catch a monkey, you have to become a monkey. So <laughs> I said, fine, we're all going to be sneaky then. So I kept recording them. And then I knew she was traveling somewhere for Christmas. I knew she was going to Chicago for Christmas. They didn't tell me that she was traveling, but I knew because I recorded them. So on the day of, as she was leaving, I asked her, okay, you're you're going somewhere. She said, yeah, she's going to see her sister or brother, whoever the hell she said she was going to see. So I said, aren't you going to take the rest of your stuff? And she's like, "Ha! are you chasing me (laughs) out of my house? I said, yes, I am. That's the way she used to talk. You say, are you chasing me? I said, yes, I am. You will not return to this house. So you might as well take everything with you right now. And I told her that as long as I'm here, you can't come back. When I leave, you are free to return. But while I'm here, this is the end. This is where it ends. And he said, are you talking to my mother like that? Yeah, me and that da that. Da, da. And it became a huge, huge fight. He said he made me. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he took her to the airport. And then before he came back, he went to a friend's house. The friend, the one that gave him money to travel to Nigeria that friend had been calling him by the way, because the friend knew we were having issues, so the friend was trying to talk to him and say, "Hey, what's going on?" He never went over to see the friend, and they lived maybe 10 minutes away or less. He never went to see the friend. By the way, the friend was one of the people who was interpreting these things to me in one of the recordings, his mother is telling him, "Don't go to that friend's house that is calling you. don't go to them, they are this and they are that. God will punish them. God, you know all the raining all these curses on these people that did nothing to her. So that day he went to drop his mom because I had done this thing that I never did before, which was to say his mom had to leave because that was very out of my character. I wasn't the kind of person who would walk people out of my house. I wasn't the person who would be that confrontational. It's not that I was afraid of confrontations, but I didn't necessarily start them. You know, if you confronted me, I would answer, but I didn't necessarily start them. I was always the one who's like, oh, let's settle this amicably. You know, let's find a way out. Let's figure it out. Let's talk it out. I was always that one. I was never the one to say, get out of my house. So that was different. I suppose was scary for him. So he went to that friend's house and he told him, oh, I'm so sorry. You've been calling me. I was really sick. Of course, the friend knew he was lying because he's been the one telling me what they were saying anyway. So he already knew why he didn't come. But the friend was like, okay, yeah, sure. So he tells the friend that Vera just went crazy. That nothing happened though. She just woke up and went crazy and told my mother not to come back. My mother loves her. My mother does this. The people he's talking to already know that he's lying because they've already been hearing everything they've been talking about, but they pretended nonetheless not to know while he was there. I don't know what prompted me, but I went into the woman's room and I saw her luggage. They were padlocked, right? I was like, who padlocks luggage in the house? So I went and got a hammer and I broke one padlock and I opened it up and I saw his documents. I guess after I took mine, he took his. I didn't care for his documents. If I wanted his documents out, I've taken them in the beginning. So he took his documents and hid them in his mom's luggage. But there was also an underwear and it was a worn, dirty underwear. I don't know why that was in there. I don't know if it's some diabolical thing, why her underwear is locked up with his luggage. I don't know. Um, I put the hammer back. And then I was like wait let me go see what's in the second luggage and then I went back and I opened that one up and there were clothes on top and I just moved things around a bit and that's when I saw the juju there was a calabash it was covered there were feathers on top of it I didn't touch it I was screaming I'd never seen juju before except in movies and there I was looking at it in my house I didn't know what to do. I called his dad. I said, this is what's happening. And the dad was screaming on the phone. He's like, oh my God, this woman wants to kill my son. I don't know if he was crying, but he sounded very emotional. And he said he was on his way. Meanwhile, his son was at the friend's house telling them I was going crazy for no reason. And I was texting with the wife and I said, let me know when he's on his way back. So she told me when he was on his way back and I put everything back. So apart from the calabash, there was some liquid. It was black. I don't know what it was. There was another plate, also covered, that I did not open to see what was in there. And so I zippered the luggage, put it back in the closet. And then he came back with a friend and... When he came back, the first thing he did was go to his mother's room to check if her luggage was still there. But he didn't realize I had tampered with it. And so the friend is trying to talk to both of us and he's, you know, we're not on the same page. And I'm not honestly interested in talking at this point. I'm still shocked and trying to act like I didn't just see Juju in my house. And so his father called and said he's almost there. And he heard me talking to his dad and said he wasn't going to stay, that nobody was going to come to his house and tell him how to do things and yada, yada, yada. So he decided to leave. And so I called the dad back. I said, he's leaving. So the dad said, okay, go and show him the juju so that he will know what his mother, because this is our thought at this point. We thought, oh my God, his mom is using juju and she has used juju to hold him and he needs to know what his mother is doing, right? So he says he's going. I'm like, okay. I ran into the room i brought the luggage out and i opened it i was like look look at this look what your mother is doing and i expected him to be like, blood of jesus you know like something dramatic when you find something so shocking like the kind of reaction that i had he said it was his it wasn't juju i was like what and he brings out the plate not the calabash but the plate and he's trying to show the guy, his friend, and saying, look, look, it's not Juju. And that one did not want to look at it. He said he didn't want to be blinded because he didn't know what was in there. <laughs> so now one is probably like, I beg, I beg. I just came to settle fight. I'm not here for all this. He didn't even want to look at what it was. He got mad that I had found the Juju. And so he pushed me. And when he did, I was like, well, I did tell you, if you touch me again, it would not end the way it did. So this time I called 911. I told him I'm calling to report an assault he left, took his mother's luggage with the juju and everything, left. By the time police came, he was gone. Then his dad came also, but he was gone. Even the dad said to the police, you have to get him. I gave the police my entire report. They took pictures. I wasn't harmed physically. I didn't have any wounds or anything, but I told them everything that happened. And so there was now a warrant out for his arrest, but he had left the house. I didn't know where he went to. We had a security thing from Xfinity. So the police told me that I could file a protective order against him. I didn't even know what it was. I knew what a restraining order was, but I didn't know protective order. So the next morning, bright and early, I changed the alarm, the security alarm. I changed the password. And the reason I did that was if he came home, the alarm, when you open the door, you know, you have to punch in your password real quick before the alarm goes off. But since I changed the password, I knew the alarm would go off. I wanted to know if he came home. Because now I'm paranoid. I don't know, are you coming home to do something to me? Are you coming to drop more juju? I don't know what you're coming home for. So I was very paranoid. So I went off to the courthouse, my baby and I, she was two. She had just turned two. I thought this was like a five-minute thing. You go to the court, you tell them, I'm filing a protective order. That's it. You are dismissed. No, it took all day. I had to stand in front of a judge. It, it was stressful. I hadn't eaten. Thankfully, I had stuff for my baby, but I felt terrible that I'm with her in court all day. So they granted me temporary protective order, which was seven days, and we had to come back to court. As soon as I got in my car trying to come home, Xfinity called me and said, your alarm is going off at home. Should we dispatch police? I said, well, I'm not home. So clearly there's an intruder. Yes, dispatch police. By the time I got there, police was there already. He was standing outside with the police, trying to sound Norman telling the police, I only came to take my clothes. I didn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. So I told the police, my daughter was asleep. I said, let me take her upstairs and I'll be right back. By the time I took her up and came back, they had him in handcuffs, not because the alarm went off, but because, you know, they had checked the system and, Saw that there was a warrant out for his arrest anyway. So they put him in handcuffs and they took him away to the police station where they told him everything about the protective order you are not to come within however many feet for the next seven days. And then we went to court. Now, this is happening in December. This happened on December 19th, and I was to start a new job on January 2nd. You can imagine the state of mind I was in when I started the job. I was very distracted, I was constantly having to get out of the training room. To take a call from this lawyer or that lawyer or this person or that person my friends were extremely worried my family was worried it was just everything came crashing down at the same time even though the marriage was bad and i knew or suspected that this would probably end i didn't think it would end right now and i didn't think it would end in this way so we went to court the second time and i was granted the protective order for an additional six months I changed the locks on the apartment. I changed the mailbox. It was a lot going on. I was driving around Maryland like a crazy person because I had to drop my kid off somewhere for childcare and drive back to pick her up. I don't know how I did it during that period. I really don't. When I look back at it now, I'm like, that was really an insane schedule I was keeping, but I did what I had to do. I was so stressed out during the end of this marriage. That's before it even became official that we've separated. I was not sleeping at night. I was losing weight without trying. I was troubled in my spirit. When he went to Nigeria, I felt like there's this impending doom coming. And I didn't even know what it was, but I was praying a lot. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Where in my intuition, I felt like there was impending doom. I needed to really pray against things. And I was praying, but I didn't know what I was praying against or whom I was praying against. It's only later I realized this whole time, you too were my problems.
0: Vera talks about the divorce process and facing her ex-husband in court.
1: I started to piece my life back together little by little. I filed for divorce in February of last year of 2019. My lawyer was an older white guy. He was nice, but he wasn't aggressive enough. I ended up firing him and hiring somebody else. This young Igbo girl who was just a shark. I don't know how she did it, but she got me what I needed. And the divorce, I was told, might take up to a year and a half. It ended up going from February to October. My name was never changed, so I didn't have to go through that process of changing my name back. We were separated for a year. By the time we went for child support, it had been six months of filing. And now we had been separated for a year. Throughout that year, not once did he say, here's a penny to take care of this child we have together. Or, hey, how are you surviving? Taking care of the kid. Not once. I did everything by myself took her to daycare i dropped her off i picked her off i prepped her meal i did everything for her i had family to support so if i needed to go somewhere for example at least i had that but you know majority of everything else was me and when we went to child support they asked him if he had contributed to the welfare of his child and he said no the lady asked him why and he said because i didn't ask him for money and the lady said you're a parent nobody should have to ask you for money And I said, yes, I agree because I'm a parent too. And I don't recall anybody saying, Hey Vera, do you mind bringing money to take care of this child? Nobody asked me and I'm just doing it because it's my child. It brings me back to the moment when I refused to have a baby, when he didn't have a job, where I said, I'm not having a child that I can't take care of. And it just made me feel even more validated in my decision to do that. Because I just always felt like if you bring a child into the world, that's your responsibility. You need to be able to care for the child. I had a good childhood. My parents took care of me. I wasn't hungry, wasn't any of that. And I wanted to give my kid the same life, even a better life. You know, like she can have what you want to have. And I don't want it to be a case of, oh, I can't take you to McDonald's because you know, mommy hasn't gotten paid and all these things. So I was glad to even be able to take care of her comfortably. When he was in Nigeria, when he went to see Mo, he also went to see a native doctor. The native doctor told him that I was the cause of all his problems in life. That I was fighting him spiritually. I was the one not letting him to progress. I didn't let him become a senator or whatever it was he was going for in Nigeria. I was the one who didn't let the business thrive. Anything, in fact, that he wanted that didn't work out, it was me. I caused all of it. So now we've been separated for a year. Since I'm out of his life, he should be better, right? But no, he had gotten worse. He had lost his job. Again, his car had gotten repossessed. He was almost being thrown out of his apartment. He looked disheveled when I saw him. But on my end, things were okay. In fact, things were great. I got a much better job, put my daughter in school, in a private school. I wasn't getting a penny of child support. Eventually, at some point, child support came through his unemployment. It was a hundred and something dollars. I don't remember the exact amount. It went on from the end of October to the beginning of February, 2020. So about four months or three months, that's it. Now, plus to the end of the year, I haven't received anything else. The way America works, whether you pay it or not, it continues to count. It's counting against you as a debt that you owe. It's working against his credit. Like, I don't know where he lives. I don't know if he's employed. I don't know anything. And every now and then child support would send me a letter and say, he's not paying anything. So we're ready to, they have things they do when you're not paying. Like they suspend your license. They don't let you renew your passports. You might get arrested. It's a lot of things. It comes up on your credit. When you go to apply for a job, they do your background check. It shows that you're behind on child support. It's all these things. As for when I called the police, because I called the police, we had to go to court. It became a criminal trial. In court, he was offered a deal that if he attended, it was like some kind of anger management thing, but for abusers, that it wouldn't go on his record. He wasn't going to go to jail. He wasn't going to go on his record. He refused it. He went on the stand and told lies that one day he was at home. I thought he was sleeping, but he wasn't. And I told my friend I was going to destroy my husband's life. And I threatened bodily harm on him and his mother. All these lies he told. But here's the fun part. We went to court twice. The first time we went, he asked that we reschedule it. The reason was that he had a witness and the witness wasn't there. The thing is, when you say that, they demand that you tell them the witness immediately so that they can subpoena the witness. So he gave them the guy's name. Remember the guy who was in our apartment the day I found the juju? He gave them that guy's name. So they subpoenaed the guy. So the guy came to court the second time. The judge asked him what he saw and he told the truth. So I told my side. My ex told his side, the witness told his side. At the end, the judge said he relied heavily on the account of the witness. So basically my ex helped my case because I didn't subpoena this guy. If anybody should have subpoenaed him, it should have been me. I don't know what he was expecting, And after he had him subpoenaed, by the way, he left court and called the guy and said, oh, Vera had you subpoenaed, by the way. I spoke to him and I was like, I did not have you subpoenaed. I don't know why he told that lie, but it was a stupid lie because when the subpoena letter came, it showed where it came from. I was the state's witness. He was the defendant and he had a public defender. It showed the letter came from the public defender for the defendant, not for me. Even on the day of court, the friend told him, can you just accept this deal so that this thing doesn't get bigger than it is? He said, no, 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 lie, lie. I will not, unless this judge tells me that I'm guilty. He used his mouth and he professed it and he got it. So the judge told him he was guilty of second degree assault. He didn't get any jail time, but that class that they told him to take that he refused, that was an option. It was no longer an option. It was now mandatory. He now had to take it and it showed up on his record. It would now show on his record that he was convicted of second-degree assault.
0: She talks about life as a single mom and how much better she's doing.
1: Being a single mom is not easy. I'm 100% responsible for her. However, for me, it's easier than when I was married. And the reason is because when I was married, I had somebody else that I had to discuss things with if I wanted to make a decision for my child. He was a parent Who was physically present in the home, and I'm sure he loved his child, but in terms of who's helping to do stuff, I was still the one doing it. In the two years he spent with her in the same home, he gave her a shower one time. So for me now, it's tough because it's all on me, financially, emotionally, everything. However, it makes me know exactly what I'm working with. I know exactly how much I have, not just money, but how much time I have, how much resources I have. I know I'm depending on myself versus depending on someone who may or may not be there and he's there, but not truly there. And I can't count him completely in. The thing I wanted the most from my divorce was custody of my child, physical and legal. I told my lawyer, I don't want to have to discuss anything with him. I want to make 100% of the decisions on my child. And I got that. So now, if I need to do anything for my child, I don't need to discuss it with anyone. I'm navigating life as a single mom. I'm navigating everything all over again. Dating is different. Everything is different. But I'm enjoying the season that I'm in. Although it wasn't the plan. It wasn't what I planned when I you know, got married and all that stuff. And I could never have predicted that I would be here. But I know that... I've always believed that a marriage should be enjoyed. I've always known that if I found myself in a relationship that was not serving, that I would walk away. I've always known that I just didn't think I would actually end up in a relationship or in a marriage that I needed to walk away from. I got my peace of mind back. I sleep at night. I have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with the people in my life, my family, my friends. My life is more wholesome.
0: A big thank you to Vera for sharing her story with us. It takes a level of growth and vulnerability to be able to open about some of the things she spoke about, and I seriously hope her story helps at least one person listening to this. You can find Vera on social media at verastic, that's V-E-R-A-S-T-I-C, and her website is verastic.com. You can also search for I Am African Podcast, where she discusses important topics with her guests. I'm happy she's in a much better place now, as we know a lot of people stay in unhealthy situations for several reasons, sometimes resulting in the loss of their identity or even worse, their lives. It's important we speak about this more and do better in general than those before us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed um, various stories. If you want to listen to parts of a story that are not in this episode, head out to patreon.com slash whether that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash whether you find them there. You can also subscribe there to generally support what I do and support me getting these stories and bringing more of them to you. Thanks so much to everyone who subscribed on Patreon. Your Your support means a lot. Also, don't forget to share this podcast with people around you. Um, share it on your social media. You can find me on Twitter at Kingwale. Well, that's K I N G W O L E. You can find the podcast, The Moments Pod. That's M O M E N T S P O D. And you can also find the podcast on Instagram at In These Moments Pod. You can reach out if you have a story you want to share or just reach out to just send a message and just say how you feel about it the story, and just the podcast in general. I think that's pretty much everything. Thank you so much for listening. Keep taking care of yourselves. Keep wearing your mask. I know people are out there and many people think the pandemic is over, but whatever you're doing, just keep wearing your mask, keep washing your hands and just be careful out there. Okay. Um, I'm going to be back with you for the next episode soon. Take care of yourself. See you soon. Bye.